Welcome to part two of a very special conversation with Eric Weinstein. Dr. Eric Weinstein, a mathematician, a capital manager for Teal Capital, and a real thought leader in many, many different domains. If you missed part one, we talked about Elon Musk and why he seems to be obsessed with rockets instead of bending the laws of physics. And we discussed a little bit about abortion and the leak of Supreme Court preliminary decisions. So if you missed part one, go back in the feed and episode and you'll find part one. In today's episode, we talk about my continuing fascination with all things mathematically related, things related to the basics of quantum field theory that is so intriguing and how we might be able to read or maybe even put right on a short t-shirt or a little mug like Eric holds up in this episode, which reminds me, please tune into my YouTube channel, Dr. Brian Keating, if you want to see the two of us in conversation and see this mysterious mug that Eric keeps talking about in this episode with the laws of quantum field theory uh, displayed beautifully upon it. And uh, don't forget to, uh, to tune in to future episodes. I have uh, conversations coming up with Pulitzer Prize winner Richard Powers. I have Philip Goff talking about consciousness, panpsychism, and Galileo's error. And that reminds me to also remind you to check out my newest work of love on Galileo's Dialogue, which was done over the course of the past year with Carlo Rovelli, Frank Wilczek, Jim Gates, Fabiola Giannotti, and Lucio, Lucio Picciarillo, my good friend of over 30 years. A labor of love. You'll have to check it out. It's available wherever you can get audiobooks. And there is information about it at my website, briankeating.com, where I hope you'll sign up for my mailing list as well. But for now, go into the impossible, me and Dr. Eric Weinstein, as we cruise through the dimensions of space and time that are accessible to us and think of ways we can warp it perhaps in the future to make contact with species beyond earth that may be a dream that may seem impossible but we're used to going into the impossible on this podcast let's go any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic open the pod bay doors please help pointed to one thing in there. You mentioned universities and how important they were. Now, in 1492, the university system was only about 400 years old at that point, and, and it's, it's aged since then and starting in 1080 or so in Bologna. Uh, and very little has changed. And I wonder, you know, the best and the brightest, so to speak, what they might be getting sucked up into this orbit of Elon, no pun intended, or, or this this kind of thinking, or many other things, crypto. Uh, but at least people like Michael Saylor, who I had on the show uh, last year, <clears throat> uh, is very gracious and 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 forward thinking as well. Um, you know, he started Sailor Academy, and that's sort of a university that only is going to produce STEM majors, not going to produce, you know, um, gender studies majors, and it's not going to produce uh, things that are not related to pure science, technology, engineering, and math. Because he believes that we need, you know, a million PhDs in in these fields in order for us to progress. And I actually think the I think the limiting factor for Elon is going to be uh, humans. It's not going to be robots. It's not going to be capital. It's going to be having enough people. And and so the the fault that I have for him is that he, I don't see any, and I'm not saying, oh, give, you know, uh, yesterday a billion, $100 million was given to Stanford University for sustainability. I'm not even saying, Elon, you know, hook UCSD up with uh, with the Musk Institute and we'll churn out your PhD, because I don't think I can do it either. Uh, is that is there a fundamental limitation for us getting off the planet in your language uh, or becoming interplanetary in his language or transcending the laws of physics in your language, getting off the planetary species in his language? Mm -hmm. Is it humans and is it solvable? Because I can't just nucleate as good as I am. <laughs> I can't just nucleate no. out of the vacuum kids. Well, but OK, so let's look at the very weird question of anybody with a halfway interesting version of a theory beyond the standard model. And I don't mean, sorry, I'm going to be very careful about the phrasing. We have large programs, grand unification, supersymmetry, technicolors, super strings, etc. Um, these are the big programs. More or less, if you're not on a big program, I know of almost no one inside the university system who's got a truly interesting, audacious idea for what to do next. I could tell you that you know, Peter White, for example, has moved from being a curmudgeon 
to actually saying this I believe, which is fascinating. I mean, imagine if Sabina Hassenfelder, uh, instead of complaining about the gobbledygook or the fact that people are, are actually, you know, and, and she's quite accurate, I think, about this, overselling things that don't work. But I really love that Peter moved towards saying this is what I think may be generating all of this. He's there in a non-traditional role inside of the math department of Columbia University. He's writing books, he's writing papers, he's giving talks, but he's not a professor. Same thing with, you know, David Deutsch has a really weird situation at Oxford. Garrett Lisi has a very weird situation wherever he is. Mm -hmm. Julian Barbour has a weird situation. Stephen Wolfram. Inside the universities, we've turned it into the Hunger Games academically, and so everyone is worried about survival, and nobody's actually worried about physics because they're worried about personal survival. They're not worried about general survival. I think what you have to look at is that there is a reluctance. I mean, one of the things I say that doesn't win me a ton of friends is that it appears that nobody actually has any money. Hmm. And um, the reason that I say that is that all sorts of it feels to me like nobody, uh, we have Rockefeller, there was, there were Rockefellers and they built Rockefeller university and the university of Chicago, one of our absolute jewels. Um, you know, Vanderbilt, there's a Vanderbilt university, Carnegie had money. There's a Carnegie, Leyland Stanford. We don't want to invest anymore in this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, there's a general anti-science thing, partially, I think, fueled by the fact that when Anthony Fauci says, I am the science, trust the science, mm -hmm. we, we, science. we are revulsed. Um, we recoil in horror, maybe I should say it that way. And I think people who have money are turning away from universities um, because those containers are seemingly very susceptible to revolutionary nonsense. And so why would you build a container and then put great stuff in it only to have it instantly corrupted by the associate dean of niceness, goodness, and fluffy puppy dogs for uh, pediatric oncology patients? You know, it's like, okay, we need to help kids who are facing cancer. We need I, I have a dog, I like good things, ice cream, blah, 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 blah. But the university is attesting to their own fundamental goodness at every turn and denouncing everyone who disagrees with them as Genghis Khan, Hitler, or uh, Lizzie Borden, or whatever. It's not a very appealing uh, pitch to people with resources. So what I'm seeing is that more or less people with incredible resources don't want to spend on things that are important. They've been tinged with this kind of failure and greediness and my, my you know, Brian, you're doing something. I'm focusing, um, focusing. Okay. <laughs> I, I think one of the things we need to do is if 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 the government is just going to renege on the endless frontier compact between the universities and the federal government i don't want to be in a intellectual property category where we can't monetize what we discover i just want to take you by your ankles and say god damn it you fooled us give us all our, our money back that we generated for you we built the entire economy and you treat us uh, like we're your servants, you're making me sick to my stomach. For God's sakes, grow a pair and recognize you've got the world's greatest deal and that these people basically have integrity and you're turning their lives upside down into a horror where people don't want to go into their offices and universities. And, you know, when I was just touring universities on the East Coast, um, professors would close their doors and in hushed tones, they would say, you know, I can't really say this outside, but things have gotten really crazy here. And I'm thinking, you're the owners of the university. No matter what anyone tells you, you don't want to send your kid to a university that isn't run effectively by its professors. Universities are not primarily about teaching. You should go to a college if you're focused on teaching. Universities are about research. And the research is done by professors, 
And by far the most research, uh, the most important research is done in STEM. I mean, I think there's very important research that's been done in folklore. Ethnomusicology was something I considered going into. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of things that can be researched that aren't STEM. But the most important things we do is to better understand the world in which we live, gain power and wisdom to control it. And if the humanities aren't going to be giving us wisdom, but are going to be giving us negative wisdom, it's very important that anybody with hate in their heart who talks about anti-racism all day long, which is just another name for racism, should not be informing people who might have to make nuclear weapons or fuel air explosives or any one of the horrible things uh, that we may need to keep ourselves safe. It's very important to keep lunatics away from the stuff that actually works. And I mean, I, I, I've always agreed with you in, in general terms. <clears throat> um, but I do feel like uh, we have uh, kind of an opportunity that is only, you know, kind of full of latency when it's uh, thought prospectively in the future. In other words, the inventor of the laser, you know, uh, Charlie Towns, or the inventor uh, uh, of, you know, GPS and things like that, or Einstein, these these people died, you know, not not wealthy people. Uh, and and yet, if they had attempted, and and yet the the uh, creator of Ethernet, you know, the three com, you know, is currently a wealthy triple, in what terms, Brian? Wealthy financially. So okay, you know, now we can define wealth other ways, obviously. But but, but let's 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 pause that just for one second. I'm going to disagree in very strong terms. I went into academics in large measure for freedom. And that's why people go into business for freedom. I think that if you priced the freedom that somebody like Noam Chomsky enjoyed, you know, probably had his pension taken care of, probably was made an institute professor at MIT, could jaw off on any topic. He had this giant uh, army behind him that would stand up for his freedom of expression and freedom of inquiry. The functional equivalent of Noam Chomsky's wealth was absolutely enormous. Oh, sure. I'm not debating that. And you can have, by the way, you can have both. Elon, you know, dictates you can have both. You can have intellectual capital as well. But I'm thinking purely for the translational ability of wealth to then be used to research purposes. So you made the argument that we should have taxed, you know, uh, semiconductor instructions or emails, all of which are invented by physicists or applied. No, no, we shouldn't have done that. We should have kept our agreements. But if you're going to be a prick about it, right. by, by all means, you're basically taking everything that was developed by people that you now treat as your servants, um, who you've actually legally hobbled. And my feeling about this is that's completely unethical. I, 100%. All, all yeah. I'm saying is that uh, the biggest lie in finance is that past performance isn't indicative of future, you know, returns. I mean, look at uh, look at whatever, pick whatever pre.com guy, uh, you know, company you like. So all I'm saying is that given that academia academicians like the ones that you mentioned have been treated like garbage and that physicists have not been able to not monetize for our selfish own internal purposes, which I believe we, we deserve, but I'm not going to talk about that, for the purpose of physics, for the greater glory yeah. of physics, I claim we need to start with an educational campaign now. In other words, we need to say the next project that's going to be developed with quantum computing or before it's monetized and we lose the rights to say, hold on, I didn't sign off on this IP. We need to be smart. And I don't think there's any training you know, certainly I'm guilty. I don't train my graduates since I'm blessed to have so many brilliant kids. I never sit down and say, if you ever get into a situation, I have two patents, by the way. I never sit down and say, like, hmm, if I'm ever in the situation where this thing could make, you know, millions of, like, here's what I should do in order to benefit. But I think we need something. It's It should be in some way incorporated into our education. And I think the best way to do that, ironically, is through the humanities. Show through history of physics, as you know better than anybody. Although I always say, it's if you want to if you want to damn somebody with faint praise as a scientist, you say, he's really knowledgeable about the, the history of physics you know it's like it's such a, it's such a backhanded compliment but you do in all honesty and all seriousness you do understand it and you well, articulate it well back on that because that's kind of a dig um my feeling about this is you don't need to know the history of physics if you want to do relatively workmanlike um scientific research 
the, the only people who really need to understand the history of physics aren't most physicists. It's the tiny number of people who are going to do things like break new ground. So it's really important not to sell the history of physics to everybody. You can become a calculational monkey uh, and go to any uh, calculational monkey school and do calculational monkey equations. That's fine. The really hard thing is to try to figure out how did people break out of cognitive prisons. And so, you know, some of the, <laughs> one of the funniest things is when people have these insults, like, uh, like the one you just said, it's like, well, yeah, because you didn't understand what it was about to begin with. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I guess all I'm saying is, wouldn't it be great to have education so that the next time we invent the internet, you know, uh, hypertext protocols, uh, that we can think for a second that how do we do this? Right. How do we renegotiate the contract? That's what I want to say. You're, you're, you're very astute. You picked up on the problem, but we can't go back and rectify the past performance, but we can say, Given the way that the history of the field has gone, you when yeah. you invent the the uh, the quantum you know beam uh, you know, Bose Einstein condensate laser uh, that will be used for God knows what. Uh, w before you do that, we should have an honest conversation about our CRISPR or you know, whatever. Okay, we should well, where are the mega fortunes that are interested in this stuff? And my claim is. Um, you know, we, we both talked to Jim Simons. Jim knows how important this stuff is, and he's put a fair amount of capital um, behind this. Uh, in my, you know, at, at some point I had a conversation with him about fixing education, and he said I spent a fair amount of time on it, and the only thing that actually seemed to make sense is to take terrible teachers and make them slightly less terrible. Mm. And it was just, it was a heartbreaking thing. It's, so I've seen people plow money into some of these things and get very little back. Yeah. Um, the, the things that work can't be said very easily right now because they're out of keeping with the ethos of our time. Um, you meet people. He's like, how do you know who's good? Because um, you talk to them. You find out whether they have 12 ideas before they have a cup of coffee and three of them are good, you know, three good ideas. That's astounding. It's hard to have good ideas. Um, we basically know who's good and we don't get to dial their facial characteristics or look at their chromosomes or whatever, you know, good is good. Um, famously Ramanujan was, a you know, sent a letter to, to Hardy and he and Littlewood, Hardy and Littlewood read it in Cambridge and they said, well, um, either he's a humbug or a genius. And we guessed genius because humbugs are relatively rare. Beautiful one. Um, <laughs> we know who's good. We know who to, who to fund and we know how to leave people alone and nobody wants to do it. Everybody wants to say, oh, it's all in the ethos and the myth of the lone individual and you know, this is so elitist and all this kind of nonsense. Okay, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're just, you're wrong 12,000 ways from Sunday and you're going to destroy everything that we know how to do. Many of the people who make real breakthroughs um, are very difficult to deal with. And if you don't want to deal with people who are difficult to deal with, you can just sort of write off most progress. Right. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't leave Feynman alone with my daughter or your daughter <laughs> uh but uh but he sure knew his way uh that's around. true because we don't want Feynman maced or, or kicked in the groin because he's a valuable human being <laughs> and our kids are skilled in the deadly arts of the groin attack from Krav Maga training that we give them and that is a mitzvah for all the that... yes exactly uh so we're talking with Eric Weinstein proprietor of the portal podcast among other things find Eric at Eric R. Weinstein at both Twitter and on Instagram. He has a website. Uh, it was about a year ago we had a conversation about geometric unity, and I want to talk about that uh, because sure. it's still it's still it haunts my dreams. It's still something that's very delightful and uh, and it, it represents uh, a sort of a sort of you know candle in the darkness, a sort of hope. Uh, scream in the void, uh, thinking big things. Uh, obviously, it's not 
uh, you know, there there are people that have, as you mentioned, Peter Boyd, Garrett Lisi. Uh, there there are a surfeit of of other uh, contender theories that have their own lacunae, but. Uh, where 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 are you now with with geometric unity? Where is the project at this point? Well, I'm talking to a lot more different physicists. Um, and Who have you I've met been... with most recently? That's most exciting for you, besides present company, obviously. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to get into details, but I think probably one of the best conversations I had recently uh, might have been with Nima, mm-hmm. uh, Arkani Hamed. Um, there's a local uh, graduate student. Where I'm going to mention his name because he deserves it and what is the name to watch uh trevor schopener uh at ucla is an unbelievable uh, up-and-coming guy in uh, i think v burns group um but i've been you know talking with avi about astrophysics discussed with alan guth recently um some aspects of uh how multiple generations are generated um, just a fairly colleagues in France. Um, I've been, I've been very lucky to have access to great people. And I think that one of the things that's happened is that with supersymmetry and with string theory, not being able to, um, find something that, that really shows us that they're on the right track. Um, people are slowly open to the idea of either shutting high energy fundamental physics down, and then I, it's gonna, people are going to be up in arms about that. But there's like a huge move to move towards quantum computation. And you say, why is that? It's like, oh, well, because computers have been really important. And so the metaphor of a, the universe as a computer is really important. Um, information power, maybe we can rebase everything around information. It, it's, an, it's something you can do, you can try. Um, but I think right at the moment, where we are is that um, we realize that the baby boomer program has run its course and the baby boomer program was strings. Almost all of the people in string theory, um, came up, uh, they viewed the world a particular way. They changed the problems that we thought of as fundamental, uh, quantizing gravity, uh, became the, the problem to work on, which I think was absolutely wrong. Um, and what, what we find ourselves in is a world in which the old thing that was crowding out everything else is in the process of dying. And that is string fundamentalism. And one of the great things about talking to Nima was for me that Nima is not captured by strings, but he's animated by strings, which is the, exactly the right position to be in, which is that you're not, 100% sure that strings are the right direction to go. But you can say, look at all of the things that string theory accomplishes inside of quantum field theory. It gives us paradigmatic um, ways in which we can elude certain seemingly no-go theorems and the like. Or It's taught us a lot. And I think that the toy theories that really came along with the string guys, because the string guys, they are mostly guys, um, not 100%, but uh, too much, um, more or less uh, used a lot of toy quantum field theories to explore some of these ideas. That was a sort of a second program. That was very good, by the way, um, on their part, for developing quantum field theory as a discipline. Mm-hmm. But it's been a disaster for uncovering new physical law and new physical explanations. So I do think that right at the moment, um, people would be open, but there's no... We should be building accelerators. We should be getting people. Here's the crazy thing, Brian. I'm dancing around it and trying not to say it, but maybe I'll just say it. We just had this W mass announcement. The W particle appears to be much heavier. And by much, I don't mean like three times as heavy, but I mean by an appreciable amount heavier than we had thought. 
And I watch everyone's explanations of this to the public. And I haven't seen one that really sounds to me like what this thing actually is. We, we settle on these, here's how we talk to the public about the W message. Well, what is the W particle? It's more or less a part of a derivative from calculus. And what does a derivative want to do? It wants to differentiate functions. Well, what functions does it have? Well, it can differentiate something called a Higgs field. Now, if you look at this mug, for example, and I'm not good at going around. Drinking and I've, deriving. Drinking and go. deriving. That term right there, which probably looks like you know, d sub mu of phi norm squared, that term is where the W particle interacts with the Higgs particle. So you're effectively using the W particle to differentiate a Higgs particle just the way you use the photon to differentiate a, an electron. That process by which the Higgs particle gives mass to a small number of pieces of a derivative, the W and Z particles, it gives mass in some sense to itself. Um, you've got this potential term here. You've got Yukawa terms here where it's giving mass, the same phi is occurring here. Uh, all of, sorry, not hold that up. So this is where the W particle is getting mass. This is where the Higgs is getting mass from itself through its interaction with the Mexican hat potential, the sombrero. Think the, the, Yukawa the, yeah, the Yukawa term where the, the fermions, the electrons and protons get mass. That whole system isn't explained to anybody in the public, which is criminal. And you know, and then I, I've sort of been in this kind of self-examination phase, which is people say, oh, Eric, you use so many big words. Why can't you understand? Why, why can't we understand you? It's like, well, one thing is almost nobody's actually trying to tell you what's really going on. And when I sit there and I say, okay, the W particle is part of a derivative, all my colleagues know what I'm saying but they're not venturing out there to say something so simple. And I don't know why they're not doing it. So the public isn't animated. Like the fact is this mug, if you had this mug in your house and you said, somebody, let me tell you more or less everything other than gravity is on that mug. Somebody would want to know one person in your family, like, well, how do I read it? What does it mean? What are the different terms? Do they have names? Nobody is talking to the public about what it is that we do. And that's how I get into trouble. I say, you know, hey, I have an explanation for why there are three generations of matter. You're like, I don't even know that's a problem. <laughs> okay. So if you think about the sort of things that GU is doing different than, let's say, Garrett or, or Peter Woit, one of the things I think that's exciting is, is that a good theory should probably tell the standard model in general relativity what it got wrong. Hmm. And I don't think anybody inside of the academic system wants to do that. They want to extend only. You know, and this is why, for example, everybody will add sterile neutrinos to the standard model because it's like it's the least offensive thing that won't screw anything up. So I've been thinking a lot about this, which is why do, why do none of us talk to the public in real terms? Why do we allow Feynman's dumbest statements to characterize uh, what seems to be the height of sophistication? If you, can't, if you can't explain it to your grandma, it means you don't understand it. If I can't create the word, world myself, then, uh, then I'm useless. And it's like, okay, well, it, it's, it's a lot of machismo, but it's not very smart. And in those, in those opportunities, none of us are really filling it in. We're not talking about what the W particle is. We're not talking about why it's important. We're not talking about why this is so exciting I can hardly sleep. I don't, know. I don't even know that it's real. Maybe it may, may be wrong. Well, but we know things are real. We know calculus is real. And let's start with a, you know, when I learned calculus, I had to self-teach it to myself because I actually wasn't placed it along a math track that would have taken me to take the APs and I had to kind of self-motivate. And that came because of a love of astronomy that I wanted to find out, well, how do we know these galaxies are moving away? How do we know Halley's Comet's orbit and all sorts of things that were going on at the time when I was, uh, you know, preteen. <clears throat> and so I had to teach it myself. But once I learned it, I kind of felt like I had 
you know, gotten the cheat code, you know, and just I started to see things in a different way. And I went through the portal. And at that moment, uh, I felt a great gift had been given to me. And it was given by myself, but in the sense that I was given these gifts from the great people that came before me, including my hero, uh, Galileo, uh, Galileo Galilei, who I want to talk about because I have exciting news about a wonderful project that I've been uh, blessed to work on the last couple of uh, years now, and it's come to fruition. Um, but uh, but I feel like we're doing a disservice. That's why I say I kind of joke in the past, but I'm getting more and more serious. I feel the scientists like me, especially like me, who get paid by the public, um, have a moral obligation to uh, teach the most exciting and most uh, delightful, delicious developments to the public for free. And they should do that as part of their as part of their job, quote unquote. And they'll say, I'm not good at it. And to which I'll say, oh, yeah, I forgot when you were born, you knew quantum field theory. Oh, no, no, I had to learn that it was very hard. And it's very sophisticated. Okay, so you spend time on things you think are valuable, right, my fellow professors. And it doesn't make me popular around the faculty club. But I do believe that, you know, especially but and every professor, every scientist is supported by the public at some level or another. So you know, we have a we have a huge you know, we have a branding problem. We talked about the marketing problem, but we also have kind of a um, an education and a and a and a, and a self obligation that scientists don't feel. We feel like we can sit around and be the be the equation monkeys that you were talking about before. Well, that's not true, Brian. I, I just I mean I disagree with this. Here's the basic problem because I've gone through this now. Let's imagine you want to understand what the W particle is and the Higgs particle and why this matters, right? So there's some safe thing that everyone can say, and then you can try to actually be real and then get attacked. So I don't like being attacked. It's, it, I've got idiots who follow me around, who call up my colleagues and try to alienate everyone from me. And my feeling about these people is once you understand what the cost is, you understand why nobody does it. But here, here's a chord, okay? This chord represents a function. The height of the chord is a function. And the W particle is, in part, a level. And that level could be horizontal, mm -hmm. or we could use the level to define what is horizontal, right? And so if I pick this, we all know that the derivative is the rise over run above that level. But if I say, you know what, I have fiat power, and I'm going to decide that not this, but this is level, then the chord that is tangent at that point is actually constant, even though it appears to be rising. Okay? Now, I didn't use any big words. You'll watch in the comments, Eric's showing off, Eric is doing this. It's no, no, in the comments, not. people are saying, Eric, please write a book about this. No, well, some, most of them, but my point is, a tiny number of people who are terrible and who just don't want good things to happen don't want us to try and fumble in front of the public. And they don't want us to succeed because then we get large follower counts and it's like, well, why is that guy the most you know, followed mathematician on Twitter? It's like, that should be me. <laughs> okay, maybe it should be you. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. If you really have enemies, wish them fame. I promise you. They want it. You don't want it. It's, it's a great deal. Um, what we need to do is to be more courageous about saying, look, you're not going to understand quantum field theory, but here's some things you can break out. If you can keep up with the Kardashian, you can, you can keep up with quarks. You can keep up with hadrons and leptons. There aren't so many, there aren't so many hadrons and leptons that you can't learn them all in an afternoon. Right? There are probably about as many fundamental particles as there are Kardashians. And the idea that we don't talk about this, we don't traffic in it, we're not excited about this. Think about 90 years ago. We, it was, this is the 90th year anniversary of, of the neutron. We didn't know that there were neutrons. So my aunt, who is in her late 90s, grew up before there were neutrons. So when she was a very little girl, nobody knew what a neutron was. Almost immediately after the discovery of neutrons, we get chain reactions and we get atomic weapons and atomic power. That discovery within living memory made the world a completely different place. And watch out for what comes next. As the, 
an adaptation of the old saying, you may not be interested in physics, but boy, is physics going to be interested in you. <laughs> and it, the idea that you're not part of the conversation, which is who are we, what is this place, and can we go and look at the night sky and dream responsibly, without wormholes and without sci-fi, of visiting. If that doesn't animate you, I guarantee you, you probably can't find a Jimi Hendrix guitar solo that moves you either. And that brings up the other chords that you're capable of bringing out, which are your guitar. We're going to get that at the very end. Um, so people in the chat room are saying things that Kim Kardashian actually has a nice set of bosons. That's kind of cool to know. Um, but Eric, uh, if, if actually listeners and viewers, the 800 people watching right now, if you'd like Eric to write a book about this, give a thumbs up to this video, and we'll see if we can create the groundswell necessary to do this labor of love, which is writing a book. And I've actually just produced my third book, uh, and I can't believe it, three books in four years. Uh, this one I didn't write. <clears throat> so this one I had a ghostwriter, literally, and the name of the ghostwriter. Wait a second. Are we on the verge of a major announcement, which I don't even know? You don't know it. Uh, it is it is a major announcement, at least in my life. I've been putting it out on Twitter here and there, <clears throat> but now I want to come clean and really announce it for, for, for uh, all time. And Love that it. is um, 390 years ago, a, uh, so 300 years before the neutron, uh, a man by the name of Galileo Galilei wrote a book that got him in a tiny bit of hot water. He was kind of the Weinstein of his day, uh, not, not afraid to be provocative in some ways, take liberties and take license. And he wrote a book called The Dialogue. And this book, it was in Italian, it was called The Dialogo. And it was in contradistinction to his first book called The Sidereus Nuncius. Sidereus Nuncius, as you all know, is Latin for starry messenger. And he was allowed to keep publishing in Latin because nobody spoke Latin. And so it wasn't a threat to the Catholic Church. Uh, but after he used the spyglass, as he called it, the perspective tube, the telescope, uh, he found that he could not really get over the overwhelming evidence that was presented to him, and he wanted to share it for the world with the notion that the universe is not centered on the Earth, it's centered on the Sun. And so he was advancing Copernicus theory and uh, other earlier theories as well. And he wrote this wonderful book. It's called The Dialogue. It's actually a trialogue between three characters, uh, one of whom is modeled after Galileo himself. And he gave this character the name Salviati, the, sa the salvation. And then the other one was modeled after the Pope, Pope Urban, uh, and his arguments. And he put his arguments in the name of a character named Simplicio, the simpleton. Not the great, you know. I, I love this because it shows that, you know, even the most biggest geniuses in, in, in academia uh, can have huge uh, fatal flaws in their impolitic behavior. And then there's a third character who's an intelligent layperson. His name is Sagredo. So I got uh, the most famous uh, two Italians that I know, uh, Carlo Rovelli and uh, Fabiola Giannati, uh, who you love for her use of Comic Sans. Uh, and so uh, we, at the Higgs boson announcement, so we, we... should say that one of them is a famous theorist that's attached to loop quantum gravity. The other one is a um, big shot uh, physicist uh, with uh, the CERN experiment. Yeah, she's the director of CERN, uh, which is where the LHC is located and uh, responsible for discovery of the Higgs boson. So um, we, and along with Jim Gates, who's another friend of yours, a professor at Ford Foundation, professor at Brown University, where I will be returning, and that's, stay tuned for a top secret announcement at the end of this month. Uh, I should say he's an acquaintance. I, I have great respect for him, and I've enjoyed meeting him, but we are not close. So the five or six of us uh, put together a audiobook, the first ever mm. audiobook by Galileo. So it exists, and you can get it wherever books are audibleized, uh, including Amazon, Audible, uh, Google Play, wherever you like. I'll put a link to it in the uh, show notes below. And it was really a labor of love. It took us a year to record it, edit it. Uh, in our home studios around the world. In Italy, Carlo was in Italy, and in uh, Aix and Provence, or however you pronounce that. And then my friend Lucio Picciarillo is the third character. We recorded it, and so much of what comes through in this wonderful book is is just beyond 
you know, my comprehension as a physicist. And actually, what, uh, oh, Frank Wilczek, I should say, narrated uh, the word and the Nobel Prize winner, 2004 Nobel Prize winner for asymptotic freedom. Uh, he narrated the dedication by Albert Einstein, the foreword to the book by Galileo, in which he calls this book by Galileo the most important book ever written. <laughs> and, Einstein called Galileo's book. Yes, Einstein called the dialogue the most, not, not just science book, but really the most important book uh, that had really ever been written, fiction, nonfiction, however you like to say it, including his own work. So it was incredibly uh, gratifying to, to have these people come together and do it. Uh, and of course, this book is Italian, and it was written originally in Italian, and we had to have it trans. It was translated. Um, and so, anyway, I, I started off doing it um, really kind of a, as as a kind of a lark. But then I uh, I decided that there could be some spinoff opportunities, not really just for me, but I think maybe for physics. And I want to get your your impression on. It. So one thing about this book, they're extremely expensive to get your hands on a, a original copy of the dialect. Three hundred ninety year old books are are very rare, obviously. Um, so I decided I have an, a collector friend who allowed me to scan pictures from it, and we're making NFTs of it. <laughs> and at first, I thought it was kind of silly, kind of crazy. Why would you make an NFT of a physical product or, or whatever? Um, but the more I thought about it, like, what if we could do use blockchain technology and science, not just for preserving, or maybe maybe we could make a DAO, one of these organizations, these entities, to buy these books before they get lost or, or stolen or, or whatever. Um, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to get an original one. Um, but what if we could, you know, either custodize it or if we could use it to generate resources for physics? So I want to run that idea by you, not not specifically with my Galileo project, uh, but uh, but you know that's just kind of my my testing the water with NFTs. Uh, but you can find that on my website, BrianKeating.com. Uh, uh, but you know, for a fraction of an ether. But what do you think about NFTs in science? What do you think about the prospects for using this blockchain technology? By any means necessary is where I am at the moment. Uh, I, Malcolm the Tenth, I think, was correct um, that we needed to. There's certain things that are just so important that I don't. I almost don't care how they happen. My my hope is that NFTs don't backfire on us, um, because the right thing to do is to make very serious people, very rich in autonomy so that they never think about, you know, look, making somebody a, a low eight digit millionaire, double digit millionaire, um, is probably sufficient to give them an extremely nice life. And there are tons of those who do far less for us than the people who uh, do our molecular biology, chemistry, mathematics, and physics. So mm -hmm. I do think that it's important um, if we're going to abandon all of our culture, we're going to leak everything, we're going to turn the universities into cesspools, et cetera, et cetera. We've got to get a few money to, to the people who built everything for us, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, those... What I don't want to see is I don't want to see it backfiring. I don't want to see a claim. Oh, well, you guys have your NFT, so you're good now. It's like, <laughs> no. Um, we're, we're scrambling um, because you screwed us over and you're idiots, and it's time for you to be ethical and smart. Um, mm -hmm. That's a very hard conversation to have. Uh, if we have to dramatize it by NFTs, so be it. Um, but my feeling is, what if the NFT thing goes in different directions? If it mm. goes through to the moon, um, then it's a great move. What if it goes in the toilet? And now we've we've sort of staked our credibility on getting involved in something that has a Ponzi scheme uh, built into it. I'm not saying it is a Ponzi scheme. No, I got it. But there, there is Ponzi in NFT, just as there is genius in NFT. I also want to point out that the concept of digital scarcity, if you go back to the original blockchain white paper of Satoshi, it's very, very clear that it's propagating uh, something according to a conservation law, that you uh, hand me your public key and I've got my private key and I've got this token that I'm laying claim to. I can propagate my token to you uh, in this infinite chain of custody um, by virtue of the fact that something is conserved. Now, of course, you had to, to create new tokens out of, out of the vacuum, but my, 
my belief is, is that one of the things is we should be talking about this in terms of digital conservation laws and digital physics. And we should be active. And I also think that, um, you know, having been playing with the, the crypto community a little bit, at first they, they dismiss everybody because they think you come in from outside and you, you don't care about anything. You just want to tell people things. But um, we do know that uh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of homology between Bitcoin and gauge theory. Um, conservation principles. Conservation principles have to do with symmetry. I am sure that if you and I got roaring drunk for two weeks uh, with a whiteboard, we would come up with a symmetry principle uh, for Bitcoin using some version of a discretized Nerder's theorem that took the conservation law that allows us to propagate, you know, Satoshi's solution of the double spend problem is probably worthy of some amazing science prize it's you know, just an ingenious idea. Um, and it's, it's hard to understand, like, what is the substrate of, of is, is it the idea that the individual wallets, uh, the public-private key pairs, is it, uh, is it computers and nodes? Because, you know, the interesting thing is, is that it was engineered so that nodes could go dark. And, you know, that's like taking a chunk of space-time out of commission. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's really important that physics get involved with NFTs, with conservation laws, with digital physics, and actually contribute into the system to make it much more useful. And while some in the crypto community will say, oh, they're just talking their book, and to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail, you know, to a man with a gauge theory, everything looks like a conservation law. Um, just ignore those people. Uh, there are so many good people in crypto who are interested in any interesting idea. We need to party with them more. That's my thought. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you to look into your crystal ball and maybe we'll do the, the lightning round as we like to do, Eric. Um, All right. Are we, done with, are we done with COVID? No. Explain. Um, my feeling about this is that probably COVID is much worse than we thought or that we understand and that people who understood it were protecting us against something. This is, I don't know this to be true, but if I had to make a guess, the reason that China is so ferocious about trying to stamp COVID out is that I worry that they know something, that it's not a flu, that it's a cumulative flu that destroys you uh, bout by bout. I don't know what this thing is. And I think it's, it's criminal that we're so far into this and we have no idea why China's behaving the way it's behaving or why Fauci behaves the way he behaves or Peter Dajic or Ralph Barrick or any of these people. Um, somehow this COVID is taking place out, outside of science. And it's, I, I'm worried that we don't understand what COVID is and we don't know which wave is going to, is going to hurt and how bad. I mean, no, I don't think so. I think that we decided that we're done with it because Omicron was relatively mild. But what COVID becomes next, I worry that certain people have much better understanding than, than you and I do and that they know why this is so dangerous. I'm worried that they, the government lied twice for different reasons. The first time I worry that they lied to protect what they were doing with DITRA, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, why was it working with EcoHealth Alliance, Wuhan Lab, why under kindly Dr. Fauci, who seems to have something to do with a weapons portfolio, uh, getting around a couple of treaties that we signed and ratified in the 70s. I have no idea, but I think that that was a self-protective lying. And then I think that there may have been public spirited lying saying, we, if we could have told you what it is that we created in this uh, cauldron, um, we happen to have some inside information about this furin cleavage site and, and the potential to attack T cells and, and the degradation and why this uh, binds to so many different organs and can cross the blood brain barrier. I'm worried that they know that this is a much worse disease than it appears and that we're going to find out over time why they were so draconian because it does look like that they wildly overreacted, not to say that people didn't die, not to say that this wasn't serious. But to shut down the world economy to the extent that they did clearly risked war at some level. It wasn't that it was free. And 
So I'm very worried that we don't really understand what COVID is and that Omicron seemed kind of relatively mild, but just wait something that's going to be wave after wave. And we're going to learn over time what this thing that really is. Mm. Do you see the um, midterm elections coming off without a hitch? Do you think it'll be a nice, smooth, orderly, I don't want to say transition to power. I don't want to assume what, what direction the elections are going to go. You think it's going to be a nice, smooth election in November? Uh, you're asking one of the middle children um, what to do about crazy mommy and crazy daddy. And my feeling is, is that, uh, you know, dad should go off uh, and, and uh, into his his uh, meth den and, and mom should should move out of the house with her various lovers and uh, the same people who are left uh, should try to get back to the United States of America. I don't know how to do this. I, I, I view the Republican and Democratic parties as being dead enders. Uh, you know, again, it, it's the it's the Thelma and Louise problem. Do, do you decide that uh, Thelma is better than Louise if, if uh, Louise takes longer to hit the ground? Uh, you know, by by a nanosecond. I, I don't know. I, I, I view. I'm so. You know what I've become? I've become a tensionist. It's like you've got Bloods and Crips running your neighborhood, and you don't want to go Blood or Crip. You just want them to fight each other enough so that the rest of you can go to work, go to school, and uh, buy some groceries without being terrorized. Um, <clears throat> more upbeat note, are, are we headed for an U.S. involvement on the ground in, <laughs> in the Ukraine? Next question. Are you excited about any recent discoveries in physics? We talked about the W boson mass discrepancy. By the way, it's not that the mass itself is so much higher. It's that the precision is so with tension with the standard model. Not, not that you said that, but there are people in the chat room wondering, is it eight times too high, five sigma? Yeah. No, it's, no, it's it, higher. It's, but it's, it, the, the bounds on this thing are radically, radically tightened and up. And this isn't new data this is old data new analysis um and there you know it, it should be taken with some degree of of caution but but to that end people have been speculating about the role of fifth forces and all sorts of things ranging from uh g minus two discrepancy the magnetic moment um of the muon uh etc etc there are a lot of tensions i always say physicists need a psychologist i think we've got so much tension on our uh -huh. minds but where, where do you think uh what's exciting you if you were a young physicist or if you knew a young physicist uh, who's starting out what would you advise her to do what excites you most in physics well I, I, a theorist i mean we should talk about an experimentalist and a theorist and i think we should talk about the experimentalist first because i think one of the things that you've done is to emphasize that constantly uh, focusing on the lead singer you know it's like we're always talking about mick jagger and keith richards is holding it down making the thing uh, awesome let's talk evenly about them. So what should a young experimentalist do? My feeling about that is you should figure out where there might be money and where there might be new tools. And I would be thinking a lot about high precision experiments. I would be thinking a lot about gravitational waves um, because that's still relatively new. I would be thinking a great deal about which of these uh, hints and beyond the standard model physics um, might be most promising and how would i go about uh the g minus two anomaly or the, the w anomaly or any of the other anomalies um what are the what are the tools and and then you know the interstitial thing as you were saying uh in some sense new analysis of old data is new data in a certain of a of a kind yeah. right because we have to process the original raw data um and so it's never it's never pristinely coming from the universe it's itself directly what am I super excited about? I'm super excited about getting back to the big questions. We, we, we traded all of our big questions for can you quantize gravity, which assumes that gravity wants to be quantized the way everything else wanted to be quantized. I, I, I'm, I'm tired of talking about um, white supremacy, but quantum supremacy, we can call it uh, quantum maximalism everything it's sort of like dealing with bitcoin maximalists the people in the late with the laser eyes are telling you quantize gravity rather than make the quantum more geometric because gravity has always been geometric since einstein what i'm super excited about in mass is looking at the different ways that mass can be generated 
inside of the models. So let's come up with three separate ways that you can generate mass. One way is, is that you could have more things to differentiate. If a piece of a derivative gains mass by differentiating something like a Higgs field, maybe there are multiple Higgs fields and that more mass somehow comes out of a richer Higgs sector. That's sort of the, that's one of the things that might be interesting. There's a very funny result from dimension three that's peculiar to dimension three called topological mass that was pioneered by Roman Jakiv and others. Um, and that says that if you have a Yang-Mills term, so forgive me, if you have a term that looks like this at the top of the cup with the double Fs, um, and then you add another term that looks a little bit more like a matter equation, and it's only got one derivative rather than two, uh, sort of like the Dirac equation, it's called the Chern-Simons term. Um, in dimension three, that gives you a new way to generate mass that's not available elsewhere. Then there's another way of generating mass, which is seemingly verboten, which is to put in a direct mass term for something like the W particle. So rather than a soft mass term, which gains the appearance of mass through an interaction, um, I'll stop using this mug. Uh, I believe that in GU, there are ways to generate mass directly rather than indirectly that don't violate gauge conservation. So there are sort of three mass mechanism uh, channels that I'm looking at in GU relative to the discovery of the W particle. And this is something that I was excited about before, but I don't know. I mean, what are you supposed to say? If everything is working fine, it was an embarrassment that there were these extra terms. It's, it's there in the draft. You can see where the mass is generated. Um, but I don't, I don't think actually I put in the, uh, the Yang Millsian part, right. uh, to the draft because of having something to do with the Higgs sector, which I'm very excited about. The, the prospect for generating mass in novel ways, I think, uh, I expect to be one of the most exciting things to be coming up. Well, <clears throat> on that note, my friend, I want to wish everybody celebrating out there. Wait, wait, there was a guitar question. Oh, yeah, a guitar question. So What's you the made guitar question? The guitar question is, uh, is the guitar hero dead? It's an interesting puzzle. Um, we just had this dinner where I was invited by a guy named Pliny. Yeah, talk um, about this picture. This guy tattooed everywhere except for maybe the whites of his eyes. You're talking about Tim Henson. Oh, yeah. Tim Henson is, I don't even know how to describe what kind of a wild guitarist he is, but look up Polyphia Goat for the most famous thing that he did. And I give the example, it's sort of like Havana Unana, mm -hmm. you know, um, but imagine that you had, or, or um, like smooth, it's got this kind of a Latin rhythm and feel and flow. But imagine that somebody was juggling a Fabergé egg, a running chainsaw and a nuclear weapon and like, it was just incredibly difficult to imagine the different things that they had to do when they were catching each one of these things. Tim is mixing up all sorts of ingenious, I just love this guy, um, ingenious ways of taking and deconstructing and reconstructing, and I want to emphasize reconstructing, things that our brains and ears are want to hear and are used to hearing, but need to be made fresh anew. So I think that Tim is one of the most exciting guitarists out there, but I want to just, I want to flog a bunch of names very quickly, people who are exciting me. Uh, Pliny's exciting me. Rick Beato is doing amazing things on his channel. Um, we are being treated to Mike Dawes and Tommy Emanuel uh, touring the country. Mike Isinger of Incubus. Um, John Mayer is one of the most unbelievable pedagogues out there. So he's not only playing his heart out with the blues, with you know, the level of people like Joe Bonamassa and uh, you know uh, uh, other people in that idiom, uh, a guy named King, uh, Kingfish, and uh, Eric Gales and Josh Smith. 
I'm just naming a bunch of people who, if you're not, if you want to get excited again about guitar, listen to these people um, as well as get excited about the gear. Uh, what's going on in gear? Um, the folks at Positive Grid just sent me a tiny amp that is effectively you charge, you know, it's a, it's a little cube this big. And I've got the world's greatest amplifier simulated inside of this tiny little thing. Um, what's going on at Neural DSP uh, in their ability to simulate and capture instruments, and then you can you can capture like your own amplifier and digitize it. Um, so Doug Castro is doing amazing things. The people at High Vibe Acoustic Guitar. Uh, are blowing my mind by putting reverb echo inside a, a classical instrument effectively or a wood instrument uh, this is out of france um, and what they're doing is turning our they're blurring the line between an electric and acoustic guitar so you can have distortion on an acoustic guitar because it takes the signal in and then it transforms it and then it uses the vibrating wood which is where we hear most of the sound. It's not from the strings, it's from the right. wood. Um, that stuff is being vibrated by these little, uh, I forget, actuators or whatever they call them. I think guitar is incredibly exciting right now. And I think that it, what, we, what we're missing is we're missing spontaneity and the blues and whatever it is that caused every show to be wildly different. We have too many people practicing very, very carefully. Um, and I'll just shout out Tosin Abasi and Misha Mansoor, and I'm going to have more to say about this soon. Good. <clears throat> well, uh, Eric, can't thank you enough. People are asking you to break out a guitar, but I didn't ask you to pr plan that out. So unless you happen to have a little uh, strat nearby, we'll have to do that next time. And people are asking us to go deep into the mug. So I think... What we should <laughs> do next time is explore the mug in some detail. So on this channel... I would love to do that... But I would like to get some video aids and the two of us get excited about letting people know, here's the recipe for the universe so that maybe not everybody becomes a quantum field theorist instantly, but this is the greatest show on earth. There's nothing more interesting than this. And you shouldn't get frozen out of it just because uh, you didn't, math didn't agree with you in high school. So that's yeah. what I have to say. That's right. So we tied in guitar strings and string theory um, so Eric, we do have facilities for that. We have an enormous green screen glass whiteboard uh, down here at UC San Diego, where you're always welcome. You know where your office is, and uh, Japanese we whiskey. We have Japanese whiskey. We have Cuban cigars. There. We have giant mushrooms, and we have uh, assorted accoutrements to go along with that. Uh, I want to notify people next week. There's going to be a big press release coming from the Event Horizon Telescope headed by uh, my friend Shep Dolman at Harvard Center for Astrophysics, and they're making an announcement involving a black hole in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a feeling it has to do with the ginormous 6 million solar mass at Wait. the center of a black hole. The black hole. The black hole, unless they've discovered another black hole, and that would be almost equal. Wait, you don't know what this announcement is? Are you teasing us? Do you actually This is an announcement of a press conference coming on Thursday next week, the 12th of May. I have a video queued up. I've done an you interview. Know? Uh, I, I, uh, I, I don't know. I have my uh, very strong suspicions, and so I will have a video out that day uh, about the uh, results on this channel. So I hope people will subscribe. Uh, I do a lot of uh, introductory kind of physics videos, but I do a lot of advanced physics, and I take the experimentalist tack, as Eric said. I love to go deep dive. I love my theorist friends. And my best friends are theorists, including Eric and Stefan. Would you and want your daughter to marry one? That's I would. I would. I would allow one of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, but in the same token, I'm in favor uh, of mixed marriages. <laughs> that's right. Uh, experimentalists need some love too. Uh, the unsung exterminators of all theories in the universe. So for now, and I wish you all. <laughs> A, uh, a a fruitful Cinco de Mayo. We're going to go out drinking uh, next time we're together, some tequila, and uh, and we'll have to avoid the the, uh, the anomalous worms. So I want to wish everybody that, and uh, tune in next time to uh, the Into the Impossible podcast with your fearful host, Dr. Brian Keating, and his his friendly friend uh, Eric. You're looking wonderful. Can't wait to we're in person. In all seriousness, miss you, buddy. Been too long. All right, brother. Best to everybody, right. and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, Brian.
Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Okay, well, that's a wrap. Hope you enjoyed this episode and the two, uh, two-part two series with Dr. Eric Weinstein. We covered so much ground, everything from aliens to abortion, from uh, Zelensky to zoology, uh, really a wide-ranging cornucopia of of really delightful topics. I love talking to Eric, and he's agreed to come back regularly, so show some love. Leave a review. People have been leaving just some of those heartwarming reviews. We have over 500 worldwide, uh, almost 400 just in the U.S. alone, including one I saw just recently from someone who goes by the name of Nighthawk on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave your own review of the Into the Impossible podcast just right below where you might be listening to it. Or if you're on Spotify, you can just leave a star ranking. I hope you'll give me a small constellation an asterism, four stars or greater, maybe even five stars. So I earn your trust, if not your money back. Anyway, Nighthawk says this is an educational journey, a very entertaining podcast. Dr. Keating is brilliant home blushing and presents the principles of physics in a very attainable way. The guests on this podcast range to the greatest minds of our time. I highly recommend it. And that was review number 502 worldwide. Won't you add yours too, if you're able to, either on Spotify, Audible, or written review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to sign up for my monthly mailing list called Magic Mailing List because any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. For now, signing off yours truly, stay tuned for interviews with Pulitzer Prize winner Richard Powers, uh, upcoming interview with Pulitzer Prize winner Ed Young, and conversation with Philip Goff, with Garrett Lewis, and many, many of the most brilliant luminaries in our multiverse. Brian Keating signing off and thanking you for going into the impossible. Have a great rest of your week.